Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. It's a beautiful day for recovery, and we're glad you've joined us today on this episode of Faith in Your Recovery. We look forward to sharing with you, and we believe we have some encouragement that will help, some hope that will move you forward, and some promises that you can stand on, lean upon, and hold in your hearts to help you move forward and to stay in the battle. Our guest today is Tony Owen. Welcome, Tony. Thank you. Hey, we're glad to have you. We look forward to what you have to share. I've spoken enough with Tony to realize and recognize he comes from the battle. He's been there, done that, has the scars to prove it. I don't want to tell you a lot of that. I want you to hear it from him. Tony, introduce yourself to the folks. Uh, just tell them what you'd want to know about you if you didn't know you. <laughs> well, my name's Tony Owen. I'm uh, 61 years old. I've been in recovery for about eight years now. Had no idea that this life was even possible prior to coming in. How long were you in the battle there before you got into recovery? Well, I, I was first introduced to drugs when I was 12 years old. So you do the math, 12 from 53, 40 plus years, it sounds yeah. like. Yep, the majority of my life. Wow, wow. Tell us about that introduction moment, how that came about, what the drug was, and uh, yeah, just share. Well, my uh, my mom had divorced my dad when we were young. I had three older sisters. Uh, my next to the oldest sisters, the one that introduced me to marijuana. I'd always had the the mindset that, you know, I was different. I was not right. There was something wrong. When she introduced me to marijuana, it took me away from me. And I just thought that was awesome. And I, I would do that every chance I could get from that point on. I've never heard that comment took me away from me, but I get what you're saying in the sense of it removed all of that and gave me a different feel about me for that moment. Is that accurate? That's it. Wow. That's it. Wow. So how long was it that you chased marijuana? Oh, my. Is that through the entirety of this, on and off? Um, the majority of it, yeah. I, 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 in 2003, I decided that maybe it was time for a change. Um, so I went to a rehab place down in southern Indiana, place called Hebron, as a matter of fact. It was designed for getting people off of crack. I had been dealing with marijuana my entire life, tried to quit on my own and couldn't. So I went down and it worked, sort of. <laughs> sort of. We want to get into that in a few moments. Did you move from marijuana to other drugs? Not at that point. Not um, at that point. Later so on, it, I did. For a long time, it yeah. was strictly marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, far beyond recreational. It oh yeah, came. Yeah, it. It. I was. I was smoking an ounce bag a week by myself, pretty much every waking moment. Okay, so you went down there to Hebron. You said in like two thousand three. Yeah. 
in that down in the Madison area, Jefferson Proving Grounds are pretty close. I've yeah. seen the sign. I've not been <laughs> to Hebron, but I can see the sign in my mind right now. They're uh-huh. off of Highway 3. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us about the experience there. It was a faith-based recovery. Why did you choose faith-based? Well, I'd gotten saved I would say probably several months before I was introduced to marijuana. But my mind, I was saved. I had my ticket, so now I can just do whatever I want. You had a license. That's it. I'm going to heaven, so, you know, Katie bar the door. I'm, I'm out doing whatever. And I was raised in a Catholic school from first to third grade. My mother was very, very much devout Catholic, Um, My biological father was a Catholic. My adopted dad was Lutheran. So I had had faith all my life. I had not acted on it, but I knew there was a God, and I knew, well, I I had been told that when you sin, you get a little black spot on your heart. Once your heart's black, you're done. So I kind of figured I was done (laughs) at an early age. Yes, that there wasn't much red left. No. Not in your case, yeah. No. So what was it like there at the facility? It was was strict. I'd been in the military, and I would almost say that it was more strict than the military was. We were up at 5 o'clock in the morning. We were, you know, doing our chores and stuff, and we had uh, verses that we had to memorize from Scripture. We had Bible study every day, and then we would have, you know, peer, I guess, peer meetings where everybody that was there was pretty much evaluating everybody else. So it wasn't the instructors, so to speak, evaluating you. It was your peers, the people that you were there with were evaluating you. And for me, it was a good experience up to a point. Up to a point. What was uh, that point? What? Well, I've always been a happy guy. Even in my misery, I've, I've smiled and all that. Apparently, that, that was not looked upon. Um, <laughs> they didn't think that I was broken enough to be down there. Well, I had already reached that point before I got there. I was walking through the parking lot one day, and one of the guy's wives was walking the other way, and I just made an offhanded comment, we got to stop meeting like this. Well, that whole thing got totally blown out of proportion. And we were sitting at one of our evaluations, and I was kind of in the hot seat in the middle of the circle, and everybody's going around. Basically, I felt hammering me, and I felt like, okay, this is no longer being productive for me. And I decided, you know, I was, I'd volunteered to go down there, so I decided it was time for me to leave. Instead of supportive, it became destructive. Yeah, it, it, it did seem to. Defeating. And so I left at that point, did not go back to the drugs. I was, I guess, what they call white-knuckling it. I had no program, no nothing that I was working. It was just I had quit. You were clean, but you weren't clear. You still had all those other struggles exactly. with Exactly. Exactly. Where did that lead you then, Tony? Well, I was clean for probably two years, and then my adopted dad was diagnosed with small cell lung cancer. So I was helping get him to chemo and this and that and the other. And my sister called me up on July 23rd, 2005, and told me that my mother was no longer alive. She said, I'm over at mom and dad's, and mom is not alive, which was just a weird way of telling me that. Sure. So I went over to the house and 
Sure enough, there was mom on the couch. Come to find out, she had died by suicide. My father was dying of lung cancer. So after she had died, I decided, you know what? I've white knuckled this long enough. So I called my buddy. I said, hey, I need a little something. And so he brought me something. And I was back immediately back to where I was when I quit in 2003. What did he bring you? Marijuana. It was still marijuana. Yeah, it was still marijuana at that point. Okay. Then my father passed. So for the moment, that return to marijuana was just to cope with and deal with the pain of losing your mom through suicide, right? Right. right. All right, go ahead. And you said, and then you lost your dad. And then I lost my dad eight weeks later. Wow. Um and like I say, I was back to an ounce a week by myself, and I wasn't getting high anymore. So a buddy of mine introduced me to crack cocaine. It was almost like I was 12 again. There it was. That took me away from me again. That was, that was the thing that, that relieved all of that junk. So I was off to the races again. I was the executor of my parents' estate, and after I'd gone through pretty much all of my money and started on my sister's, I went to my wife and I said, look, I got to do something. I've got to get off this or I'm going to wind up spending everything. My wife had made the comment, well, at least alcohol's legal. My mindset was, well, it'd be okay if you drink. <laughs> yes. So I've always said that crack got me off the marijuana. Alcohol got me off the crack. <laughs> okay, well. And alcohol took me to my bottom and it didn't take long. What'd that bottom look like? I was drinking every minute of every waking minute of the day. I could not not drink. I had bottles stashed under the bed, so when I woke up in the middle of the night with the shakes, I could drink and, and get back to sleep. I didn't like alcohol. I never liked alcohol. I was in the Navy. I'd been drunk maybe five times prior to that, and I hated it, but it got me away from me. You know, a lot of the guys that I've talked to that are alcoholics have talked about how it was fun at first. Well, it, it was never fun for me. My goal with alcohol was to escape me. I was working in a house in a crawl space doing some plumbing, and somebody had made me mad, and I kept a bottle out in my truck. I got a big box van, um, like a U-Haul, and I kept a bottle out there. And I would crawl out of the crawl space, and I'd go out to the truck, and I'd take a couple drinks, and I'd go back down to the crawl space. Well, I got the idea. Well, I won't have to make so many trips if I just take, take that bottle thing. down there with me. <laughs> so I did. And a neighbor of mine, a few days prior to that, had showed me his three-month token for Alcoholics Anonymous. And I told him, I said, that's good. I said, I've been off drugs for a few years now. You can do it. I was probably drunk at the time I was talking to him. I, I would almost guarantee it. So I take that bottle down into the crawl space, and I got so drunk in that crawl space I couldn't get out. I called my wife, and she said, I don't care. Drown down there. I'm not coming to get you. And I remembered that guy showing me his token, so I called him. He had just bought a brand-new Jeep, 2013 Leather interior, Jeep Cherokee, gorgeous thing. Him and another guy came over there to the house, drug me out of this muddy crawl space, threw me in the back of his Jeep, and started taking me over to St. John's at the time, St. Vincent's Hospital. And I proceeded to show him my gratitude by puking all over the back seat of his Jeep. And they took me into the hospital. I think my blood alcohol was 
0.289 or something, something like that. They said I was almost to alcohol poisoning at the time. And so they did an assessment. They did not put me in the Anderson Center, but they said IOP. They recommended intensive outpatient, whatever. Program? Program, yeah. yeah. I was I was ready. I was done. I had been going to bed for, I would say, at least six months, if not longer, praying that I wouldn't wake up the next morning because I did not want to go through what I had gone through today. I want to go back here a minute. Okay. Let me interrupt and we'll catch up <laughs> with you right there. Earlier you talked about how you had hit your bottom with alcohol. I find it very symbolic that that bottom was in the crawl space of a uh, of a home. Yeah. Is that what it was, crawl space of a home? Yeah. Uh, that's quite a combination. <laughs> that's very visual. Yeah. And uh, crawl spaces are not the best places no. most of the time. <laughs> and to be there under that condition and not be able to even know your way out of there. Yeah. It, uh, and that's not a pretty bottom. No, it, and it wasn't. My life at the time was not a pretty life. I was so dependent on alcohol that, like I say, I would pray when I went to bed. My prayer was that I wouldn't wake up yes. in the morning. I had tried suicide myself three times prior. They say, you know, I didn't have the guts for it or whatever. I believe that the Lord was not ready for me to go home yet. Um, otherwise, I'd have made it. But it was pure misery. Every day was pure misery. I thought, well, why not? Gotcha. I can relate to you talking about your mom being a suicide victim. Mine was as well. Mm. I didn't make the same decisions, but I know I still struggle with it. And that's been uh, moving toward 50 years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's difficult because it there are so many unanswered questions. We find a way to cope. Mine came through the support of friends and my faith. You found a way to cope, and then you found a way above that after all the struggle and after the darkness. Yeah. I'm going to go back to that crawl space again <laughs> because that is such a, gosh, such a fit. For oh, it was. hitting your bottom, okay? Uh, the only way is to keep digging. You chose not to <laughs> dig, but to find a way out. You right. made that call to that friend. You got in that awesome-looking Jeep, paid him back with a little <laughs> upchucking and everything that goes with that. Yep. Take us forward from there. Like I say, they recommended uh, IOP, so I started going to IOP. A requirement for IOP was to go to three AA meetings a week. Back up several years back to the early 90s, I had a friend of mine that, that was an alcoholic. He came to stay with me, and, I mean, he drank like crazy. So he said he wanted to go to a meeting in Marion. He was a veteran. And so we went to an AA meeting in Marion. My opinion of AA at that point, which stuck with me for a while, was this is crazy. These people think that a doorknob can be their higher power and they can stop them from drinking. They're crazy. So when they recommended that I go to three AA meetings a week, I thought, well, I got to do it for IOP, so I'll do it. I went to my meetings. We were sitting around and the therapist had told us, she said, I want everybody to tell me why you're here. So they went individually, each person. And I remember telling her that my wife had a problem with my drinking. 
So I decided I would get sober. And I remember she looked me dead in the eyes and said, you might as well get your and get out of here because this is not going to work for you. And I thought, whoa. (laughs) And I thought, well, okay, I guess I'll do this for me. Well, this was about two months into it. And I went home that night and I sat in my chair and I thought about it. And I thought, you know what? I've been doing this for a little while. My life is getting better. I feel better. Things are better. I wonder what would happen if I put a little effort into it. It's going well, and I'm just being there. Exactly. So what if I get involved and commit to recovery? Yeah. Okay, go ahead, please. So I went to my meeting that following Monday. And I decided, okay, I'm going to get serious. And I asked a guy to be my sponsor. And he looked at me and he said, are you willing to do whatever it takes to stay sober? And I said, yes. And he said, no, I want you to hear me. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? And I said, yes, I am, which I was. So he said, call me every day for 30 days. So was that your first moment of clarity to where you decided, I am serious about getting over this, finding recovery. For me, it was either that or death. Okay, you've got that daily call to him that he asked you to make. Go ahead, please. Yep, and I called him every day. Um, We started working the steps. The crawl space I was working in was a house I was flipping. My mother-in-law had financed it, and I was doing the work on it. Well, my wife fell in love with the house, so we wound up moving into that house. (laughs) So I had my crawl space under me. And, you know, it sounds strange, but that was a comfort. I had hit my bottom in this house, and this is now the house I lived in. Maybe that was also a challenge because you were standing above your bottom, (laughs) if you'll pardon that expression, every day. Was this a single-story house? Yes. Okay. It was a ranch. Okay. It was a ranch house. And to this day, I hate crawl spaces. (laughs) I imagine. I still have to go into them occasionally, but I'm, I'm always quick to say I got out all by myself. That means a lot to you. Somebody else may not know what you're saying, but that's an insider joke that you lived with. Yeah. I really hated when we moved out of that house because I was losing my crawl space. Yeah. I still drive by that house. It's on Bittersweet Drive across from Community Hospital. Bittersweet Drive. Exactly. (laughs) Here we go again. (laughs) You know, the crawl space, the darkness, the dampness, everything that goes with one on Bittersweet Drive was your bottom. That was my bottom. The bottom was bittersweet in some. (laughs) Yep. And and if you think the Lord doesn't have a sense of humor. Oh, that's absolute (laughs) proof. you got to love those moments when you think back and can put it together. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. but like say, I still drive by there and I look at it and I get a warm feeling about that crawl space because it got me to where I'm at. Turned today. your life around, didn't it? Yes. It gave you it life. It gave me a life. You know, we yeah. understand it comes from Christ through Him. Right. Uh, but by the same token, that was the kick in the tail that you needed yep. to slap across the face? Do you still battle temptation with the alcohol or marijuana or anything? No, I do not. Occasionally my, my head will say, well, it's been long enough now. You can, 
Take a drink. You can take a drink or, or you can smoke one. I know better. Um, I, I know where I came from, and, and I don't forget that. I often use that illustration. I remember the potato chip commercials where it talked about how you can't eat just one chip. And if you can, yeah. folks, let me know how, okay, because <laughs> I can't. And it's that way with the drink or the marijuana yeah. or whatever it may be one time. And uh, that can even be the last time. Yeah. One doesn't give you a chance. Sometimes. Well, and, and that's what I've said. I know I've got a relapse in me. If I, if I don't maintain, I have a relapse in me. I honestly don't believe I've got another recovery in me at my age. I've heard so many times we've all got another party in us. We don't know if we have a recovery in yeah. us. So that's what you're saying in just other words there. Yeah. So yeah. at this point in your life, tell us what it's like to be to be sober, to be clean, to have some clarity you didn't used to have. Oh, man. It is a great life I have today. I had no idea when I when I first came in. I, I just knew I was going to be miserable the rest of my life because I could not imagine life without being altered. I was the problem, and I was what I was trying to escape from, the way I would think, the way things I would do. Those were the issue, and it wasn't so much the alcohol and the drugs. Once I got that all worked out and started focusing on others instead of myself got rid of my selfishness my thinking i deserved anything then i was able to start living my sponsor calls it getting out of yourself and doing for others when i came into this thing like i was 52 years old when i came in i was all about me i was all about what i could do for me what i could get for me for me for me for me today it, there's nothing about me not to say that there's not things that I do that I like. I oh, mean, absolutely. I do things. You're better. That's called mental health. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, but my main focus is others. I once heard the word joy explained as Jesus first, others second, yourself last. I like there that. There are times we've got to make ourselves first, not above Christ, but above everything else before we can reach out to others. Right. That recovery, as you know, the the instructor, uh, the lead looked at you and said, you might as well get out of here if you're doing it for your wife. You had to make it about Tony yeah. and our continued recovery. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, I think we're all in recovery of some type, yeah. that we all have those bottoms that we've hit, whether it was a relationship, whether it was downsizing at work and the blast to the ego, whether it was a poor choice with an investment or whatever it may have been. Yeah. So there comes times when we've got to look at ourselves, take care of ourselves before we are of the worth and value we can be to others. Right. Today, I'm a chaplain for Anderson Fire Department, peer support chaplain. Tell the folks a little bit about what that means, what your role there looks like. Well, we, we've got a group of us that when when a, a bad call comes in we had one in pendleton it's been a year and a half two years ago so a bad call something tragic takes place during yeah. the the need yeah there there okay. were they went on a on an accident call a, a boy had wrecked his car 
he was real concerned about what his parents were going to say. They asked him if he was okay. Yeah, I'm okay. He didn't go to the hospital. That was on a, a early Saturday morning. On Sunday afternoon, they got called back. That same boy had died by suicide in the bathroom upstairs. Well, one of the EMTs that responded had gone to school with him and knew him. So we did what we call a debrief. We sat down with everybody involved and talked to them and helped them talk through it, help them deal with their feelings about the situation. If, you know, there's a, a fatality accident or something, I go out and I'm just, I'm peer support. I'm there for the guys that are on the call if they need anything. A sounding anything board yeah. and just somebody they can talk to. Right. Somebody who's there with them and for them. Right. Wow, that's much needed. I, I've spoken with a few here on our podcast, different ones, and some of the incidents they have to deal with and then head back to the office, to the station. Yep. Ten minutes later, they're called out on something else, and no way could they have processed, even fathomed what they had just experienced. Right. And here they are being needed again. They've got to change gears. And And the old school way of it was, you know, buck up and go to work. That's, get over it, and that doesn't work. Get over it. Oh, man, <laughs> don't you wish we could that easily? Oh, yeah. uh, I hear folks oh, say yeah. that about those struggling with addiction. Just yep. just stop. That's That was my wife's yeah. solution for me was just quit. Yeah, <laughs> and we all wish you could, wish yep. you would, and so did those who are in it. Oh, yeah, and promised we would. Oh, yeah. I, I can't. Tell you how many times I swore to my wife I wouldn't do it again. Recovery is a tough mountain to climb, it is. isn't it? It is. But it's worth the view from the top, oh, I'm it guessing. Is. It is. When I was in my addictions and my alcoholism, I kept thinking, man, things can't get any worse. And boom, they would. That's the kiss of death. Tomorrow can't be worse than today. Yep. But since I've been in recovery, I keep thinking, man, things can't get any better. And boom, they do. So what's better look like to you right now, Tony? Being able to lay my head down at night and go to sleep and know that I have not wronged anyone intentionally. I've not stole from anybody to support my addiction or whatever. I took that change that the, the cashier gave me too much. I took back in and gave it back to her. There's just this inner peace that I have today that I never had. Pride in self without arrogance. Yeah. We call it doing the next right thing. Yes. Um, no matter what that is. And that's advice for everybody, whether you've struggled exactly. with addiction or not. If we'd all just do the next right thing, be that one to help the individual with the flat, yep. be that one to reach to the top shelf for the smaller one that can't reach yep. it. Uh, yeah, that you know when you do something like that, when when you you're in the in the grocery line and the, and the person in front of you is you know a couple dollars short and you make up that difference. If that doesn't make you feel good, not in a prideful way, right? But a a warm, comforting way. That is what this life's about. I think we should all be difference makers. Exactly. And we have so many opportunities through the day and through life. God. Pl- 
I think, places in there to see how we're going to respond. Exactly. I don't think he puts a black place on our heart like you talked no. earlier <laughs> with that, which I totally understood. Yeah. But it's a good test for us. Yes, it is. And I believe, this is just me personally, I believe, and Scripture backs me up a little bit on this, that God pays you back tenfold. Gotcha. I believe that's no matter what. I agree 100%. You do bad, you get paid back tenfold. <laughs> you create that payback. Exactly. You drop. Exactly. Because we all have that conscience, whether we listen to it or not. It's there. And the more we stifle that thing, which we can, because I did for years, and shove it down there so where you don't have to listen to it, and, and then you sit and wonder, why is my life so miserable? Quit, quit. I don't want to hear you. <laughs> and and But I'm so miserable. I, I don't want to yeah. hear you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And all we have to do is listen to that and respond to that, and then we're not sitting there being I'm, miserable. I'm glad you threw the word in respond. You know, listening is one thing, and then doing something about it's another thing. That's called obedience. Yeah. And uh, like you say with the scriptures, I think that's a thread woven throughout that it'll come back to us the way we share it. It took me getting into AA. Like I say, I was raised Catholic. My mother was a devout Catholic, which is why I struggled with her suicide so much. But once I got into AA, at the end of the meetings, they say the Lord's Prayer. And it took me until I was in my 50s to realize, forgive us oh. as we forgive those who trespass against us. That is a scary line if we take it seriously. It is. It and is. I don't think we should ever say that prayer out of rote, out of just memory, yeah. out of habit. We better understand what we're saying because we're taking something upon ourselves that exactly. truly make a difference in our day and the next day. Yep. And I didn't realize that until I got into this recovery thing. Sure. Because I didn't pay attention. I, I didn't have the conduit, I guess. The relationship. To my creator. Yeah. I, I had always, like I say, when I was young, my heart was black, so I was done. So God hated me. And that was just my understanding. Yeah, I, I've got to get out of this life what I can get out of it because I'm, I'm going down before there Before anyway. I am out of it. Yeah. Because I'm going down there anyway, so I might as well. Well, that is not the case. Let me ask you a question here. As we start to wrap this up, of course, the name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. What's that title mean to you? Your words. That's tough. All right. <laughs> but for me, it would be as long as I get up tomorrow and do what I did today, which is get up and pray and meditate and talk to my higher power, whom I choose to call Jesus Christ. As long as I do that tomorrow, I'll have a good day tomorrow. If I don't do that, which I'm not a perfect person. There are mornings I, I wake up late or whatever, and I rush out, and I forget to do that. I can tell because my day's not going like it had been. But, but the neat thing is I can stop at any time. 
and do that. Start your day in the middle of the day if you have to, right? I've got all that, the resets I need. Yep. <laughs> just like the old one day at a time. If you can't do a day, you do a half a day or you break it down to the hour or the minute. That's uh, the way it is in our relationship with Christ. It what is. We forget one moment when the Holy Spirit reminds us, get at it. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. I'm not doing this alone. I'm not doing this now. I've got a bunch of guys. I got a bunch of people I can call. We need that. But I've got I've got God on my side. Amen. I'm I'm not hated like I thought I was. For sure. For so. sure. Well, listen, Tony, thank you for your time. Thank you for being with us today on Faith in Your Recovery. Keep that faith, stay in the battle. Amen. Amen. Thank you for having me. All right, folks. Tune in again for our next episode. We're glad you were with us today. Take care. God bless. Keep fighting. Stay in the battle. Amen.